Welcome to Meet the Manufacturers podcast, brought to you by Manufacture CT and sponsored by Cone Resnick. Advisory, assurance, tax, and online at coneresnick.com. On every episode, we take the opportunity to learn more about a local manufacturing business. Welcome along to this very special episode of Meet the Manufacturers. I love this time of year. It's the time when we talk about the Gage Report. Now, I am Claire. I am your podcast host for Meet the Manufacturers on behalf of Manufacture CT, which is brought to you in association with Cone Resnick. Now, Today, I am joined by Ron Angelo, who is the president and CEO of CCAT, the Connecticut Center for Advanced Technology, a CT-based manufacturing company and a member of Manufacture CT. I'm also joined by the lovely Christine Williamson, a partner in the government contracting industry practice with Cone Resnick, also a member of Manufacture CT and a long-standing audit and tax firm in the Northwest region of the United States, especially for the Connecticut manufacturing industry. Now, Christine is also the chief editor of an annual report called The Gage. Now, she has shared with me The Gage Report, and today we're here to discuss what is in the report and how it can be helpful not only for government contracting companies, but also manufacturing companies in Connecticut. So, Ron and Christine, welcome to Meet the Manufacturers. Hi, Claire. I'm really excited to be here with you again, Claire. I'm here to talk to you about the sixth edition of the Gage. It's crazy mm-hmm. to hear myself say the sixth because I remember seven or eight years ago, this brainchild starting that we didn't have a name for, and now <laughs> we're doing the sixth edition of it. We spoke last year, just about the same time, Claire, if you remember about the fifth edition. So we, again, Cohen Resnick appreciate you having us back. And we're really excited and appreciative to the do the report again and for all the listeners that are listening out. Hopefully we gauge your interest in this report. That's our goal. The last year's gauge report was focused on a specific theme, but every year we talk about trends and data points and benchmarks for companies. And we do that very specifically around the federal government and doing business with the federal government. And we don't realize how many companies really do touch the federal government in the supply chain. So last year, we had an annual theme of creating winning proposals. So this year, we did the same thing, a lot of same trends, a lot of same benchmarks. But our theme has been shifted to the workforce and reimagining how we work. And I know both of you are not surprised about the theme um, because a lot of us are thinking about how do we work. All right. So, Ron, great to be here with you again and to learn more about CCAT. You and I have spoken and have perused through the report. And I know there are certain topics that just popped up for both of us. We talked about how to do business with the federal government and the different types of contracts. So maybe why don't we jump into that area? Because I think one of the most interesting parts of our discussion has been that a lot of companies need to do their homework around working with the federal government and that you just can't jump in. It's not the type of customer that you meet today and you get into tomorrow. You really have to do your homework, 
-hmm. You really have to have various other things within your business and people that we'll talk about later that help you manage properly and accurately how to work with the federal government. Was there anything specifically, you know, in the gauge that you noticed and or some of the items that we talked about, about different types of contracts that people don't realize the federal government issues? Well, Christine, it's great joining you and Claire, thank you for having me on. You know, CCAT's an interesting, you know, organization. I think Claire, you had had said we're we're a manufacturing company. We are considered a non-traditional defense contractor. So we actually have a non-for-profit kind of overarching umbrella. And we're here actually to service the manufacturing ecosystem, really the entire industrial base. So there is so many different opportunities to contract at the federal level. And you did say a few things that are interesting is that kind of be careful what you wish for, because there's a lot of homework, a lot of thresholds and things that companies have to be aware of, whether they want to be a direct government contractor or even indirect in some ways. So there's there's a lot of daunting things. And the Gage Report certainly highlights a lot of these things about the necessary procedures and guidelines and practices and things that companies have to have in place to make sure that they can you know, pass the bar when it comes to becoming a contractor. And they can actually service the contracts and then provide the proper reporting and audits and all that sort of stuff that's required. So, you know, without getting too specific, sure, there's a lot of things that obviously are brought up in that gauge report. And I think companies' policies and procedures and tight accounting guidelines and things are just so imperative to make sure that a company is going to be a good steward of government resources and be able to deliver on contracts. So I know we're going to talk a lot more in the podcast, but that would kind of be my general observation. Right. And it's interesting how the federal government uses entities like yours to get the word out and to get funding out to be able to have companies, you know, appreciate and help the federal government improve, you know, what they're doing, helping the warfighter, helping technology, you know, whatever the needs are, it's interesting how they might procure that. And so I would tell folks when you open up the gauge report, definitely look at the sections about the type of contracts and the set-aside designations that companies may have. There's a small business designation that the federal government has. There's service-disabled veteran-owned. There's minority-owned. There's there's woman-owned. There's mentor-mentee programs. There's hub zone. And so all of those can help you do work with the federal government. Mm -hmm. So I think that leads us, Ron, into working with partners as a contractor or as a business. Um, talk about how important that is to know who's in your supply chain, that's your subcontractors, partners, mm -hmm. consultants. Talk about how important that is to CCAT and the, uh, the industry as a whole. Sure, Christine. There's some great resources out there, first of all, for companies you know, large and small and some of the types that you just mentioned, such as the state procurement, technical procurement centers and SBDCs and things that can actually help guide companies kind of on their journey as they begin to explore government contracting and what those opportunities are that are available. Simply going on, you know, governmentcontracts.com can be a bit daunting and doesn't exactly give you that great insight. From CCAT standpoint, what we do, partners are so important in everything we do because as with government contracting, you're looking to provide a specific service or you're looking to solve in CCAT's realm, we're looking to solve or help solve a particular challenge that 
a government agency or entity may be having. We, in fact, do a lot of work in the Department of Defense and Department of Energy and actually spans maybe a dozen or so federal entities. So partnering with others to really kind of build out a consortium that gives the broadest and best solution possible is really important. The government is really requiring us to do that now. And I do see that with many others to make sure that they're not just going in with a government contract with a singular approach and maybe a singular capability. By partnering with others, you have a, a broader offering and you also gives the government maybe a little bit more confidence that you've got the ability to execute on a contract. In CCAT's experience, for instance, we're entity that can be used as a pass-through. We can be used as a, a recipient, as a fiduciary of government funding. So we can be used as a vehicle as well as a partner on a particular program that aligns well with our technical capabilities. It just shows us a lot of different avenues and every contract is different, has different nuances to it. And understanding what you're trying to solve for or what you're trying to provide for is very, very important as you approach a solicitation or some sort of award that you're looking for. That's right. And we asked folks in the Gage report, Ron, about what percent of their contracts were awarded as a prime contractor or a subcontractor, which you know many are one or the other or a good mixture. And the government does have goals that it would like to meet by those different agencies and by the different departments even. So about 62% of our respondents had prime contracts and another 38% were subcontract or a mixture of. And that's not surprising because government contractors need to have a subcontracting goal themselves to be able to help the agency to meet that goal. But if you're not doing government contracting, actually, Ron, I wanted to mention that we also talk about what type of departments you have within your company. And you'll notice in the Gage Report in our utilization section, and I can mention the sections here in a minute, but we talk about full-time equivalents in each of the areas, the back office of your company. So whether you're working with the federal government or you're, you're not, I always tell people they can use the Gage Report because I do think that these functions of a business development, accounting, information technology, you know, human resources, contracts, project controls, recruiting, compliance, legal, with even internal audit in here. You can use those to help you gauge your employee size in the back office. And I know you've done some of that, Ron, because, you know, you were wondering, do I have the right size back office? Do I have too much? Do I have too little? So I wanted to throw that out there that this full-time equivalent headcount in your company of when in various functions, I think helps not only government contractors, but it could help any industry to kind of benchmark themselves. Yes, Christine, you have to be really well balanced in that. A lot of the contracts that we work on are very technical in nature. So we have to have PhDs and engineers on our team, and we have to have a certain level of them to obviously be able to execute in a contract. And sometimes, depending on the work, you have to grow that workforce out significantly during the life of the program in order to meet the, the particular deliverables of the program. And as you start backing into the organization, you look at, well, should our finance department be two people or 10 people? And you know, in CCAT, we're, we're typically around four in our area of finance and, and finance and contracting obviously is extremely important how 
budgets are developed and you have to be extremely careful how you charge to a government contract and that you're meeting or going to make sure that you meet all the audit requirements and end of contract reporting requirements. But we also have that really important positions in the compliance and contracts area. So we, we have uh, folks that are very well versed in the nuances of these contracts and again making sure that we're meeting all the requirements along the way and and then we've got the hr our human resource area of course that's going to be important and and we have to have diversity requirements uh, as well and, and provide a makeup of our workforce so all of those things that you're seeing uh, cone resnick and with your clients we have to fall into that and then of course we also rely on very, very skilled, you know, outside professional services as well for the auditing and other things. So we do most of it internally, but, uh, you know, having that good partner, uh, knowledgeable in these areas on the outside as well, gives you just that extra set of eyes and that you need. So, you know, we find all of that, this approach, it's very holistic and it's, you know, it keeps us, you know, going in the right direction. Well, that's good. And I'm glad to hear that that helped you. For those of you who haven't opened up the gauge report, we break it up into five sections. The first section is under compliance, and Ron was touching on that, that um, when you do work with the federal government, you're going to have um, some special compliance requirements on top of the normal, you know, regular business that the company has to manage, insurance, accounting, you know, and being set up to run your business in your state. But the second chapter is accounting, and so we talk a little bit where we talk about day sales outstanding and invoice cycles and how important that is getting your invoices out correctly. So that is important to have the right number of accounting people. Then we talk about utilization and growth and project management and resource management and how mature is your company and your resource and your project management. And then we talk about growing and what's your actual win rates with your contracts and what's your projected win rates. And then efficiencies and efficiencies really gets the bottom line of a little bit on how companies charge the federal government and estimate their cost and what they're going to build a government. So Ron, why don't you talk a little bit about how important it is negotiating rates with the government versus commercial, you know, what kind of tips and tricks you would give folks about estimating how you're going to charge the, the government. I'll give tips, but no tricks. Unfortunately, there's no tricks. Uh, I wish there was a few things that we could pull out of the hat. But, uh, you know, when it comes to setting government rates, it is a process. Our CFO leads that charge and he's extremely experienced in this. Boy, you fumble on that, on establishing your government rate, and we do that each year, you can end up losing money on a contract. So there's a lot of nuances. It is a back and forth directly with a, a particular government official that you deal with to set that rate. It is vastly different than commercial rates. I mean, those are very different. And again, CCAP being a nonprofit, we can benefit by certain things. But your rate setting and, and how you take that approach and, and what can be approved is very, very, very important. To go back for a rate change is extremely challenging to do. You've got to have a very, very good reason. And with many of these contracts, when the deliverables are up, they're up. If you haven't met a particular requirement you're, that you have to deliver on, you may have to be, you know, you're, you have the end of the contract, meaning the end of the spend period, but it means now you're spending your own money to actually complete the work. So, you know, how you monitor that contract along the way 
some of these are, are multi-year contracts. You have to be right on top of them on, on even a weekly basis, how they're being charged to, and, and that certainly rolls up. So when you get to the end of the contract, you're delivering what you need to be within the budget. So those rates are really very, very important. Getting back to one thing you said regarding the 62 versus 38% splits and primes versus subs, I actually was surprised to see that number of the percentage of primes being so high because the requirements in the prime and, and the reporting and audit requirements are much more stringent than the subs. Sometimes, as I said, you, you got to be careful what you wish for. You can be subbing on a lot of government contracts and doing very well as a very good source of business for the company, but the, the requirements do go up considerably when you are the prime. That's right. That's right. Well, you just, you read my mind and you're segueing into the, the next area that I was thinking about, which was compliance. And, and you touched on that. And there's a lot of different types of audits rather than your regular financial statement audits, <clears throat> maybe, you know, things that you file with the IRS or things that you file with the state. There's another level, especially as a prime on the types of audits that are normally experienced by folks and companies that are awarded federal contracts or federal awards. And if you look on page 18 of the Gage Report, I'm hoping many of the listeners will download it. There's a list of the audits there. And you know one that's not here, uh, Ron, is the CMMC audit which is the um, the cyber maturity model certificate that a lot of companies will be going after where there's special information technology standards that companies are going to have to uh, be required here coming up and there's different levels so maybe you could talk a little bit about that because i think that for you that's one of the biggest probably audit and requirements that you're going to have in, in the future there's three things kind of daunting for CCAT that we watch at, but the, the CMMC, because of, of our focus, which is a good percentage of our business is defense oriented, the cybersecurity maturity models are a huge journey that companies have to take. And I think we need to be at level two. I think that's the going to be the requirement by the summer of 2023. And it does, in every instance that I've seen, require professional engagement from an outside auditor. These are CMMC trained people that know how to implement these requirements. They go all throughout your network, not just within your own business, but even those coming into your business. They're very stringent from even an, an IT standpoint and your system standpoint. You know, it goes right through. So these are things that at least if you are doing right now going in the Department of Defense area, these are absolute requirements, uh, not just to enter as a new government contractor, but those contractors that have already been in this space for a number of decades, and CCAT's been doing it for 20 years, roughly, you are required to meet these same criteria. So cybersecurity mo maturity model certifications are going to be front and center for us in the years ahead. But also when you look at some of those other audits, things to remember for companies, uh, depending again on the nature of the particular contract, is things that are purchased, if there's government money being used to purchase certain assets for the deliverable of a particular program or contract, that is typically the property of the government and will need to be returned or go through a proper disposition. It is not just the companies to do whatever they want with. So it has to be used in a very strict stance for that particular contract. And the other thing is IP that you have to be, a company has to be very cognizant of. If there's any intellectual property or, or something that they're working on, a process that is 
they feel is protected in some way by going on to a government contract. You have to be extremely careful of how that IP gets listed and the fact that if there's advancements there, it may end up being in the realm of government ownership. So these are things you have to be very, very careful of within your company and that will come out in the audit at the end. Yeah. Yep. Well, well, hopefully we're not scaring them too much <laughs> of, of wanting to do business with the, the federal government. It does have its its rewards and its risks, and it does put a little layer of complexity on top of the company. But if for the respondents, and I, I didn't even mention, we had over almost 1,200 respondents in the survey. That's about 60 questions. It's asked, the survey is open between about February and it, we extended it to July this year. And so out of all the participants, 27% were in the same bucket as you run a CCAT, that they're going to have to be level two. Yep. Uh, 24% were level one and 14% said level three, which is the highest now. And then there was another 27% that just said, we're not sure. And then 8% that were exempt. So... And there's a, a quarter of them that really didn't know what level they needed to be at. So they need to get working on it. Like you said, it's coming up in RFPs and the Department of Defense is going to be starting to put that in even more in the fourth quarter, first quarter next year, and mm -hmm. then through 2024 and 2025. And Christine, just to add to it, there's, you know, yeah. at least I know this is going to be heard by many, but in Connecticut, at least, this is a, uh, there are programs, the state has actually stepped up and there is actually some funding available for companies to get an assessment and begin their journey in CMMC and, um, and other compliance related matters. So you want to look those up and make sure companies are aware of all the vast number of programs. You know, we have a chief manufacturer, manufacturing officer in the state of Connecticut and some others, of course, Manufacturer CT is an amazing resource for all of that. But, you know, there are funds available to help companies secure a consultant or, or do what they need to do to start understanding. Of course, the 27% that don't know, <laughs> that's always the one that you're looking at with a little bit of concern. So any way we can enlighten them is extremely important. Well, I think that's good. And because you have those programs there in Connecticut, you know, you're just getting a, a little step ahead. You'll find out what your weaknesses are. Sounds like, you know, it, it would give you a clue and, and just a you know more focused look at what you need to do to be able to meet these requirements. So, so I hope people take you up on that and, yeah. and check that out. You know, there's other things that government contractors need to do, like training, you know, code of conduct, conflict of interest, need to teach, you know, things like or have notices up on whistleblowing if there are, you know, issues within the, the company. There's other training and there's other things that companies need to learn. But, you know, step by step, you know, it's not too daunting, but definitely I think the gauge report would help folks if they took a read through it and then kind of broke it down, you know, section by section. Um, I think that can really help you. What you're saying, Christine, is so valuable. I was very enlightened by that report and sharing it with others. I mean, as a company, there's things that we're always looking for, continuous improvement and information we don't have. And yeah, I mean, I've brought up some things that are daunting, but you made a point a short while ago about there's wonderful, wonderful opportunities to engage the government on federal and state side that can mean a lot to a business, particularly those smaller businesses, the diversity of some of these businesses. So 
there is opportunities. You shouldn't be scared because there are processes. There is great information out there. There are programs of assistance. I think companies should absolutely at least explore it, know whether it's right for them. But the gauge report is just, I took a look and said, wow, there's, there's some great info in here. So, you know, hopefully companies take a look at it. I hope so too. And I guess to kind of wrap it up, you know, the theme is reimagine how we work. And what you'll find is behind each section, there's a, a workplace horizons page that gives you some <clears throat> items to think about, especially if you are going to get into the federal government. But even if you aren't, you can use it. They're called 2023 workplace horizon. And so each one of those areas talk about perks and rewards that you might need to think about for your new workforce. Paperless data management, office stipends, putting together budgets. What are you going to be spending it on? What is your hiring and your retention and your recruiting cost, and then operational efficiencies? But the one that you made me think about, Ron, when we were talking was the workforce development and how important it is to think about the workforce in the future I was just amazed about what you're doing and how you're hiring people and how you're training people and how you're recruiting people. So maybe we can kind of finish up with uh, what are some of the advice that you would give our listeners on developing your workforce for the future? Sure. Well, boy, we could spend a couple hours just on this. It's such an exciting topic. <laughs> and and I hate to, you know, sometimes you hear the term as, you know, your employees are your best assets and, and it just gets so impersonal and because it's far beyond that now. It is very personal and it is team building is just so important, so critical uh, for the retention and growth of your existing team, but obviously to the attraction of you know, the next gen workforce. I do have to touch on one thing when you talk about reimagine, because uh, CCAT's chief technology officer, Dr. Jacqueline Garifano, just led a wonderful submission that we were invited to do as a prime on a NSF engine program or proposal, which is really wonderful. And it's called reimagine. You know, how are we going to be looking at um, in different areas, underserved, underrepresented populations? How do we engage those that maybe really didn't have an opportunity or the right opportunities decades ago or even in recent years? How do we engage them and under, get them to understand the amazing opportunities, at least in the manufacturing sectors, but many other areas? So the approach, putting out a job spec on Indeed just doesn't do it. I mean, you've got to actually get out there in the community. You've got to go out and reach people and, and have a personal connection to them and also be very fluid. CCAT takes a very fluid approach to our workforce. You know, I, I guess I'll get a little bit casual about it, but we look for really cool people, multifaceted, energetic folks that really are going to be a powerhouse and, and meld and blend very well kind of within our team. And very often, we'll sit down with them and actually create a job spec. We'll just go through it and say, look, you know, let's not put people in a box. Let's put, bring them to a place where they can grow and experience different things. And maybe they're working in one area today and another area tomorrow. And, and how we blend all that together, you're developing a much more well-rounded, exciting, energetic, and engaged member of your team. And I don't want to be so casual because, of course, at CCAT, we do need very seasoned engineers and programmers and people that can have the ability to operate additive manufacturing technologies and automation and advanced design capabilities. So we do have those positions, and those are ones that we're always looking to, to grow. But you know, the nature of how you approach your workforce and flexibility, of course, is key. 
you know, nine to five simply doesn't work anymore. So it's very much about what's the workload and what needs to be accomplished. And if it can be accomplished in a, a unique or a way that maybe adapts to someone else's lifestyle, you know, could be childcare or other things that are daunting for them. Well, how do we get the most out of them and, and make sure that they still have got a work-life balance and meet the needs of what's going on outside of work? So we're like every other company. We're just, some of it, we're just thinking as we go along, how do we get better and better at it? Right. Well, and I think you and I could continue to talk about this for another hour because what you've just, what you just focused on was also what we had in the gauge on industry insights and how to use the gauge. We talked about top five kind of workforce trends and we delved into benefit strategies, expanding alternative care for individuals, increasing the use of technology, you know, bridging the gaps between how much healthcare prices are and considering you know, strategies to better manage those costs. And then just what businesses are facing with um, the labor shortage and turnover of employees and how that's affecting the industry. So we had an insurance company actually help us write the article in the back of the gauge this year. And so you can see that this isn't just because we're an accounting firm doesn't mean that it's all going to be numbers. The gauge report is, is a lot about what's keeping you up at night. You know, how do I improve maybe my compensation structure? What kind of ideas can I get from the gauge? And that's really the whole purpose of the report is to help companies, you know, improve the profitability of their company, their success. And so we hope each year there's a different theme that we can come up with that helps companies be more successful and more beneficial to the environment and to the uh, industry as a whole. So Claire, I think we could continue to talk and talk and talk, but uh, I know we, um, we've got to stop at some point. Uh, I've got to say, I could listen all day long, Christine. I could. And Ron, you know, what you're touching on there in particular at the end has really struck a chord with me because so for the last two years now, I've been speaking directly with manufacturers and often part of Meet the Manufacturers is I will have a member of the senior management team and I will have a, a member of staff and they could work anywhere within the organization and asking them some of the questions, some of the hard questions about doing business, particularly in the state of Connecticut. One thing that keeps coming back up and up and up every time is about recruiting and keeping hold of good people, you know, and how to do that. So it was fascinating to, to hear what you were saying. It's something I keep hearing and uh, I like your approach to that. It was fabulous. I know we're running out of time probably, but we all probably in the state of Connecticut know Ari Santiago and he had a great company, IT Direct, and now it's called Compass MSP. And he gave me some great insight about, you know, you look at a job and when you look at an FTE and you look at the full-time equivalent and say, you know, maybe we get two phenomenal people who really because of a number of different things, maybe it's obviously something to do in their personal life or, or at home, can only really commit 20 hours a week. And you could bring two folks in, two of these people in to, to make up that FTE and just have marvelous results. And it just, that creative nature where I think many of us were always said, no, no, we're looking for a full-time you know, person. And it's like, well, you know, maybe not, out. there's other ways to yeah. solve it. You're missing out, you know, potentially missing out on some incredibly talented people looking to return to the workforce or just adjust their lifestyle, their balance of their work-life balance. So fabulous. Uh, and yeah. that 
in itself, Ron, could be an entire podcast dedicated to that. I'm quite passionate about the work environment and how big companies, small companies manage their workforces is fascinating. It really is fascinating. Now, Christine, the report itself, if people have been listening to this podcast and haven't yet got their hands on the document itself, how can they get hold of it and download it? This uh, podcast is, um, the timing of it is unbelievable because we were just putting the finishing touches on it last week. It's uh, going through the, the final proofing and, and editing this week. So I hope by the end of this week, beginning of next week, around October 10th, it will be available on the Karen Resnick uh, website. We also have a, something called a benchmarking tool. So if you just go to gaugebenchmarkingtool.com, you'll find all the reports from Cohen Resnick relating to the gauge. And then if you do go to CohenResnick.com, government contracting industry, we have a great resource center where the, the report can be found. It's amazing. But if you Google gauge, more than likely, it's one of the first or second items that will pop up. So we're hoping to get that 2022 gauge out as soon as possible so that, so that folks can start using it. Absolutely. Fabulous work and a fabulous listen. And I really do enjoy, not only do we enjoy your support all year round for Meet the Manufacturers, the podcast, but I do really enjoy sort of, a, it's almost like a litmus test every year, the report, and it is fabulous, the work that you do. So thank you so thank much, Christine. It's been an absolute pleasure. And Ron, thank, thank you, you so much for coming along to play on our podcast today and being a huge part of Meet the Manufacturers. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here, Claire. Thank you very much to you and Christine for having me. Thank you, Ron. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of Meet the Manufacturers, brought to you by Manufacture CT. If you would like to find out more about Manufacture CT or you would like to join the organisation, you can visit the website manufacturect.org. This podcast is sponsored by Cone Resnick, one of the largest accounting, tax and business advisory companies in the United States. Visit their website for more details, coneresnick.com. Cone Resnick. Advisory. Assurance. Tax.